This is Postnatal FAQ, the podcast that reassures new mothers. A quick reminder before we start, just as we and our babies are all different, so are our situations. These podcasts are absolutely not intended to be a substitute for seeking tailored one-to-one help and advice from professionals who can assess what's best for you. Do go and talk to your GP or health visitor about any physical or mental health issues you may be experiencing or any doubts you may have. If it's out of hours in an emergency, please do go to your local A&E. My name's Abby Hollick, and on my maternity leave, I collected as many postnatal stories as possible by putting questionnaires up in maternity wards, children's centres, schools, GP surgeries. I flied as many places as possible. I collected your stories and turned them into FAQs because I feel that there is such a lack of information and support for new mothers. The attention goes on pregnancy, birth, the baby, and many new mothers can feel isolated and forgotten as these stories and responses to my questionnaires can attest. So I'm hoping that this series is is helpful to you and today's episode is a real goodie. Uh, I spoke to Claire Flaxen. Claire's a mental health social worker and cognitive behavioural therapist. She runs Resilient Mums, a support service for any mum who feels she needs more help with the challenges of motherhood. She runs one-to-one CBT sessions as well as online groups and runs a Facebook group. I started by asking her about postnatal anxiety. I don't think I've, I've ever met a mum that hasn't had anxiety about something, myself included. And it's a perfectly normal part of the journey of motherhood, I think. But so often it can become a problem and we don't talk about it and we keep it to ourselves. So in a nutshell, yes, I, every day I meet mums that, that experience anxiety. How does it manifest? Because I received a lot of questionnaires and specifically some postnatal mothers, the anxiety was very much directed towards the baby fear of those kind of snuffly, strange noises that they can make in the night, fear around their temperature, normal, common fears. But then it can also go to the next level and people worrying about getting out of the house. If they were to get out of the house and do that shop that they need to do, they would need to drive. And then what if they couldn't find a parking space? One person said, what if a car parked too close to my car and then I wouldn't be able to open the back car door so I wouldn't be able to get the baby out of the baby seat? And it's difficult because that's an anxiety that you don't want, but also that situation could happen. It is really difficult to get a baby car seat out of the car. So how how does it manifest? What kind of anxious thoughts present themselves? I think for a lot of people who have anxiety that's a problem when once they become mums, for, for the vast majority, it's people who've had anxiety before, but possibly have learned coping strategies that works or it didn't interfere so much. It was just them. They could find a way to get on with it or they had other things they could do that made them feel confident and competent and they could avoid maybe the situations that made them feel anxious. And then you become a parent and everything gets sort of thrown up in the air. And I think for a lot of women that haven't experienced anxiety, it can come a bit like a a bolt from the blue, where suddenly you have this little creature that's entirely dependent on you, and that can feel frightening. So the anxieties can be often these intrusive thoughts that pop in about something happening. That's really common, but people don't tend to talk about it. Or the kind of, you know, what ifs, what if I get in the car and something happens or what if I miss something when my child is ill and I haven't picked up on the symptoms and we spiral in our heads into these kind of anxious ways of thinking for me as a CBT therapist the way I deal with anxiety is that it's always about two things usually it's fear of something bad happening 
but it's also our lack of confidence on our own ability to deal with it. So, for instance, that example you just gave of the, I park my car and what if someone parks too close and I won't be able to open my door? And you're going off into these what-ifs, but you're also coming from the premise that you won't be able to problem-solve it. And that's what makes us anxious, is that we won't be able to deal with it. Um, our child gets sick, we won't know what to do. We, yeah, we spiral off into a very negative, kind of unhelpful way of thinking that is about us not believing that we will be able to deal with whatever it is we fear. There are definitely common common themes, I think, with intrusive thoughts that pop in that can be quite distressing for mums, and we don't often hear about it. So we can think that we're somehow a bit abnormal in having them. They're called um, ego dystonic thoughts. Is that like, I sometimes get this as a zebra crossing with a buggy. Yes. Like I see a car and I think, oh my God, I'm going to cross the road, but the yes. car's going to then hit the buggy. But I'm not. No. I'm going to wait till the car passes. Yes. Is that is that an example of an intrusive thought? Absolutely. That's a really good example of an intrusive thought. And it's it's either something happening that you fear, like the car doing something, or it's 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 seeing yourself almost playing out a behaviour that you would never do in real life. But we... We tend to misinterpret these thoughts and that's why they become so distressing. We we give more power to them than they need. So we either think that by thinking it, we've made it more likely to happen or that by having that thought, that means we're a terrible person. So we feel awful, we feel shame, we don't talk about it. Um, but they're perfectly normal. They're just our brain processing things. If you actually stop to look at your thought processes over the space of even five minutes, the amount of intrusive thoughts, we'll be getting it now. We, we, we're bombarded with peripheral things or mm. random things like oh I, I like your dresser over there I like oh what should I have for tea our thoughts are constantly always oh, what should I have for tea exactly what's <laughs> there in every moment <laughs> yeah yeah when can I have my next cup of tea that's going to be warm and I can still drink it we're always having these thoughts pop in but it's the distressing ones that we hook onto and we pay attention to and we judge ourselves for absolutely it. we do and we give ourselves a really hard time and because we're often worried about what people will think about us or what we think it says about us we don't we don't tell people. So many of us mums are having these thoughts, but we wouldn't know each other's having it because we don't normalise it. We don't talk about it. And that's a big reason why I set up Resilient Mums was I felt there was a real need to normalise these experiences of motherhood that we take on board as something abnormal, um, worrying or, yeah, that something's wrong with us. And it's not. It's just It's just part of the funny old way our brain works. So just to break it down and stay on this subject and just to be really specific, there's the what-ifs... There's the intrusive thoughts. And what about more kind of physical symptoms? Like I know with all of my kids, I had quite bad night sweats at the beginning and would have weird moments of being wide awake and panicking at 2am when your baby's asleep and all you want to do is sleep because the baby is asleep and this is your one window and you could get two hours right now, but the mind is racing and physically uh, the body might be reacting, whether that's you know, sweat or headache or, or whatever whatever it is. How how can anxiety manifest physically? Well, there's definitely a physiological response to anxiety that we all have. And it it can work in two ways, I think, from, from the way I work with mums to help them manage anxiety. It it can drive the anxiety because like you say, it's there in the background, you've got the night sweats, you might your heart might be banging, um, your heart will be racing faster. You've got all these warning signs that your body's telling you there's some danger when there isn't actually. And we respond to that, our body reacting, our mind then goes into the anxious thoughts and we worry and we fret about what might happen. But it can also be helpful because it can be something that we can pick up on quite easily. So it, it, one of the things I teach mums to do is to 
pay attention, like do body scans, pay attention to what your warning signs are for anxiety. Um, so for me, it's, it's when I'm stressed and a bit worried, I hold my breath and I'm not aware I'm doing it. But when I become aware that I'm holding my breath, I ask myself, OK, I'm worried. I do this when I'm worried about something. What am I worried about? And then you can start to to break it down. So for you, it might be like, why am I getting the night sweats? OK, I'm worried about the enormous responsibility I have for my little baby that's sleeping over there because this is such a transitional period for us. We suddenly, we've gone from being responsible for ourselves to being wholly responsible for another creature. And, you know, that's an immense pressure. And the pressure for sleep, the precious elusive sleep that we're we're constantly seeking when we first become mums. I think we can put ourselves under a lot of pressure that we should be sleeping. Um, we should be making the most of these moments. And our brains then will kind of pop up with this worry thoughts that get in the way that we then beat ourselves up about not, not being able to go to sleep. And we, again, it's these cycles and spirals. So yeah, I think it's quite common that we get these thoughts in the peaceful moments when our mind is stiller, when our, we're not busy doing, in those quiet moments, then there's that space for the anxious thoughts to pop in. And it can feel really overwhelming and it can feel like you can't shut your mind off. So it's quite helpful, I think, at those times to learn a few strategies um, to be able to calm, either calm your body down. So going back to what you were saying about the physical responses, doing some slow, deep breaths, having a moment of practicing calming yourself down, whether that's being mindful about things or whether it is literally just doing some breathing exercises so that you can break that cycle of the physical response. And then you can go and work on, okay, what's the cognitive stuff? What's the thought things that are going on that are driving my body to go in to the stress response. So they kind of work in combination. I guess there's so many and you then there's no one size fits all and you specifically treat and discuss different things with each client. But anyone listening now who's just had a baby and they're in the early weeks, they're definitely feeling a spike of anxiety. Maybe they've never really been anxious before. Maybe they certainly haven't ever done cognitive behavioural therapy or ever seen a therapist in their life. What is sort of step one, what are the strategies that you advise women or, or some of the tools that they can follow or practices and maybe a, a range of examples because I'm sure no one, one size fits all. I think the first step is to understand that it's normal and for me you can't you can't say that enough because yeah. people feel so abnormal not a few months ago I didn't feel normal with with worrying about stuff it is so normal we all do it I've worked in mental health and well-being the whole of my career, well over 20 years, and I've been a CBT therapist working with mums. I worry about things. It's not that you suddenly reach this wonderful point where you have no worry and anxiety, and that should never be our goal, to get rid of anxiety. And Anxiety serves a purpose. It's, it's a warning sign. It's information. It's when our warning signs are going off unnecessarily that it's intrusive and it causes a problem. So it's not that we never have worry or we never feel anxious about our children, it's learning how to deal with it and understanding what it is. For me, the starting point is, yeah, it's to accept that it's normal and also just to see whether or not it's really a problem in your life because not all anxiety needs to be treated. I think the, the benchmark is always, is it, is it taking up too much of your time? Are you spending so much energy worrying about things that you're not getting other things done? Is it stopping you from doing things you want to do or stopping you from parenting in a way that you want to like you're not able to get out to the playgroups because you're too anxious I think the common theme through the questionnaires specifically going back to those were people feeling that they weren't enjoying this time yeah and so then it, then that's a problem you, you know you were not 
I don't think we should set ourselves up to expect to enjoy every moment of it. I think there's a bit of a, a tyranny of positivity that to take. There's a psychologist called Susan David that talks about having emotional agility in the way we approach things. And I love her work. And she talks about this tyranny of positivity that we live under, where we should be happy all the time. We should, you know, we should only post the wonderful pictures on social media about our beautiful, perfect lives. And we have this idea that if we're not happy, there's something wrong. And I think a big part of resilience is is understanding we have a range of emotions and they're all okay. So let's not aim to be happy all the time, especially as a new mum. It's normal to be, I remember a junior doctor when I had my six week my, my daughter was born in the States and I had a, a sort of six week checkup and no one had talked to me about postnatal depression or anything really. And he did this kind of very vague screening. And one of the questions was, do I find myself crying more often? And, and I, 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 I thought he was joking. I laughed and went, yes, every day, doesn't everybody? Because we do, don't we? It's, it's, it's a normal part of us adapting, transitioning and the hormonal changes that are going on. So so let's not worry too much about not being happy all the time. But if it's if it's meaning you're not enjoying much at all or any of of, of your experience of, of becoming a mum, then yeah, that's 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 something that that you could get some help with because it doesn't have to be like that. So it's degrees. It's how much it's interfering in your quality of life and how much it's preventing you from doing the things you want to do. And I think for some people they get a very intrusive anxiety that's there all the time and it takes up so much mental energy that it's quite exhausting talk to somebody talk to your gp um get some help and yet the things you can do at home to start managing your own anxiety i think it's it's it changes depending on how old your children are it does get easier as your kids get older and there's more space but when you've got a newborn we're talking pockets of time aren't we in short pockets often and the mental energy and space to actually start doing courses or reading books or learning new things it's overwhelming so I would say maybe don't put too much pressure on yourself to learn whole new strategies but just do simple things about taking care of yourself where you can doing a few things to make yourself feel like you again and normal even if that's just having a shower and getting dressed if that makes you feel better if it makes you feel better to stay in your pajamas and just do nothing do that and know that it's okay and for me, the starting point is always developing that awareness of what's going on in your head when you're feeling anxious. Well, I like that idea you said about body scans. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. So what I like to do as a starting point with managing stress and anxiety is to practice tuning into what your body feels like when you're anxious, because we're different. Common ones are your palms start sweating, you tense up in your shoulders and your chest, you feel maybe nauseous, you get the kind of jitters in your stomach or your heart's banging, it's racing really fast, you can't think straight. Tune in to what's going on for you. And, And one way of doing that is to, either when you feel yourself being stressed, to stop for a minute and just mentally focus in. I'm doing it right now, so I'm looking in like, what does my head feel like? What do my shoulders feel like? What's my chest? Kind of slowly, as if you're scanning up and down your body, just really notice what the different parts of your body are feeling like because then you can tune into the tension you're feeling, the pressure, the the stuff that doesn't quite feel that's making you feel on edge. And certainly with feeding your baby, you can if you were to do a body scan in that position, so many people I'm sure, like myself, would discover their shoulders were up around their ears or their back was yeah. slumped and just that moment of kind of oh, okay, breathe posture it's amazing how we're not aware of what our body's doing until we 
put our mind into it. And then absolutely what you're saying is, is so true because there are really simple corrections we can do, like relax your shoulders, even unclench your jaw. Mm. One, you're giving yourself that physical experience of relaxing which then dissipates the stress hormones that are going on and it, and it it sets off a whole new cycle because you're physically relaxing your body. But you're also then changing up the message, the information that your brain is receiving. It's great to do when you're in the middle of feeling stressed out, when your baby won't stop screaming, for example, and you're getting more and more wound up. It's a really nice way of keeping calm. It's just let yourself just have 30 seconds, if that's all you've got, of deep, slow breaths. And you're releasing some of that tension so a lot of the new mothers who got in touch, um, as I've mentioned, discussed uh, feeling anxious. Um, but there was also another um, common theme with feeling a sense of failure and a lot of self-sabotaging thoughts around how they were parenting or how their body had failed them if the birth didn't go the way they wanted it to go. And I agree with you. People can't suddenly start reading books, listening to CDs, following extensive kind of CBT workbooks. But is there something people can do with those thoughts? If an intrusive thought comes in about how you're not a good mother, for example, I don't know, hypothetically, your baby has a nappy rash and you decide to blame yourself for that because you didn't put any pseudocreme on yesterday and you should have. Is there a kind of tool or any tips for what you do with that thought? How can you push that out and be gentle and kind to yourself? It's linked so much to perfection, isn't it? I think that we we strive to be the perfect parent and the stakes feel really, really high and we lose this sort of sense of perspective. So the nappy rash that we blame ourselves for because we we forgot to put the pseudocreme on and we should have done. uh, Should is a really good word to watch out for when you're going into a sense of failure and not good enough. If you find yourself telling yourself what you should have done a lot, that can be a really good starting point to tune in and and sort of tell yourself, okay, stop and listen to what the self-talk is in your head. Writing it down can be really useful. You might not be able to do it in in, in the moment, but I've done work with mums where I've written down, when I do a CBT session, I write down the words that they're using because words have such power and with with some mums, I've then emailed back the phrases that they've been saying about themselves. The reaction's been really interesting. They're shocked at how they're talking to themselves because they're kind of aware of it, but it's just normal to them to kind of give themselves kind a Kind of time. like, wow, you would never say that to your best friend or your partner or a family member, but yet you will treat yourself like that. Exactly like that. That you until you, Sometimes until you step back and see it clearly about how you're talking to yourself in those moments of feeling like a failure... You don't realise how hard you're being on yourself. So that's something I I think is really useful to do because, yeah, we are time poor. We're concentration poor when we're new mums. Kind of what's the difference between guilt and shame is something I I think about a lot. And your example is quite a good one. If you feel guilty because your child has a really bad nappy rash and you could have prevented it, there's nothing wrong with kind of saying to yourself, I'll learn from this. I will make it part of my, I'll have the pseudocreme in the nappy bag on the changing table so I just do it as standard without thinking about it like doing something that's problem solving to improve the situation but I don't think that's what most of us do like we talk about mum guilt quite a lot I'm I'm a firm believer that we're not talking about mum guilt we're talking about mum shame and the shame is the not good enough it's the failure and that's the bit to work on it's not that you are a terrible mum because you didn't put pseudocreme on your child's had a nappy rash I mean, and and broadening out into that perspective, like how many mums have done that? Are you the only one? Another thing that new mums could do is kind of think about things on a scale, like say 0 to 100, with 100 being the most perfect best mum ever. 
and naught being we're calling social services and taking your child away because your parenting is so negligent. And then asking yourself where on that scale your parenting in that moment lies. Because often what we find is we're aiming for 90 to 100 a lot of the time. And that's not actually realistic. But a more realistic way of, of looking at it would be, OK, that wasn't my finest mum moment. My child's got a nappy rash, it's uncomfortable. But is it catastrophic? Is it awful? No, we're probably somewhere in the middle. And and I always think, oh, I must be a good mum because I'm worried about it. Like I made the mistake and then I'm worrying about the mistake. So I care. Absolutely. So go me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I worry, therefore. But you are, you're, you're being conscious about it then and you're caring. As you said, people don't necessarily have time to write long lists or keep a diary, certainly not kind of week three, week four. But even just on your own, you have got a lot of times to sit in the dark on a chair staring into space, you know, with a wide awake baby. Is there any kind of mental tricks? Like when a thought pops in, is there a something you can visualise or a mantra or what are the different ways to tell that thought to bog off? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's mindfulness is what you're describing there, which is very much used in CBT. And it says it's a whole practice separate from CBT as well. Mindfulness at the core, I love mindfulness. I think it's brilliant. And it's really good for this this kind of um, situation that you're describing when you haven't got space or the time necessary to work on everything. And sometimes you just want to be in the moment, developing an awareness of what is actually going on in our heads, because that's the starting point for everything. So you you can absolutely visualise your thoughts being a cloud and kind of drifting away. You can think about your mind wandering like it's kind of you're training a puppy when you want to bring your mind back to whatever it is that you don't want to go off on the worry thoughts. You want to bring yourself back to what you're focusing on or being present with feeding your baby or getting on with whatever you're getting on with and your intrusive thoughts are coming in you can visualize your mind like being this really inquisitive curious puppy on a lead that keeps going off and pulling and you need to keep pulling it back again so much about mindfulness is acceptance and that's what I think works really really well for mums it's accepting that your thoughts are just your thoughts your brain is curious that's why the, the puppy analogy is quite a nice one because it's our brains are very much like a puppy. We're kind of distracted by things over there. We go off, we want to see, we're curious. We have things pop in and we go, oh, what's that? And we think about that. And it, and it we, we're jumping all over the place. So practicing mindfulness can be a lovely thing to start doing. And it's, yeah, it's something that mums can absolutely do sitting on the sofa, having a cup of tea. You don't have to be meditating to do mindfulness. Mindfulness to me is what you do as you're going about your daily life. You're walking down the street, pushing the pram, you're on the bus, you're driving the car, whatever it is, you're just accepting that your thoughts flow in and they flow out again. Mm. For mantras, I, I like mantras, but I think they need to be personal for them to work. So if you've got a particular worry, coming up with an alternative way of thinking about it, like I don't need to be the perfect mum, I just want to be a good mum, having something that's kind of snappy and simple, but that really resonates with you can be a powerful thing to do when you're feeling anxious or you're feeling like you're not doing a good enough job. I like the idea of accept that thoughts are going to flow in and flow out. And also on that note, that's making me think, don't always believe the thought. If the thought is, you're definitely looking really fat today. You know, you shouldn't be looking this fat when you had your baby three months ago. Like that's not, that's not true necessarily. Well, I'm sure it's not true. This is a whole basis of CBT. It's challenging our thought processes um, as well as what we do and how we how we feel but it's that connection between them all and that we have these thoughts coming in all the time constantly and they're not necessarily true but we don't question them 
we just accept them and we also do a lot of distorting with our thoughts so we yeah we believe that they're true we believe our thoughts are more powerful than they are we believe we know what other people are thinking about us usually negative when it's about our parenting um we believe that certain things like I, my baby won't stop crying that must mean I'm a crap mum because I don't know I should be able to do this better we we have this whole cycle of of these thoughts that just aren't true challenge those thoughts ask yourself if they're true and the, the power that comes with knowing that thoughts are just thoughts and we were talking about distressing thoughts earlier that, that the sort of intrusive thoughts that pop in I had an example of this that I was thinking about when I was thinking about talking with you about all of this that I hadn't thought about for ages. And it was when my daughter was about two and a half and she just started nursery and they went on a school trip to the seaside and I couldn't go with them. And her key worker sort of pushed me a little bit to go and said, there's a space you can go, I'll look after her. And she really wanted to go, but it was the first time she would have been away from anybody. She'd been in the nursery just for a little bit of time and she'd never gone outside of the nursery with anybody else. And I think she'd only, my mum had been the only other person really apart from her dad, who'd, who'd had time with her like that. So I, I said yes, and I spent the whole day with these intrusive thoughts flashing into my head that were so distressing that, you know, all the things that could go wrong and that could happen and of her not being watched properly and something happening. And yeah, and, and my instinct was to want to pick up the, the phone and call the nursery and check whether everyone was okay. And, had, and I knew, but because I knew what was happening and it was just my kind of, just my anxiety being a bit heightened because this little, little child who's so precious to me is is... It's out of my comfort zone. The best thing I could do is to not respond to my instinct to go and stalk the school and kind of look at the news for signs of a car coach crash or something or, you know, whatever horrible images were coming up. By just being able to accept them and see them for what they were and talk myself through it. And I was doing this as I got on with my day. I wasn't sat there kind of spending a lot of time and working on writing everything down and getting myself all caught up with it. I was doing it as I was walking along the street, going to work, doing whatever. But every time those thoughts and images popped into my head, instead of getting trapped by them and getting really upset, I just, I kind of, like you were saying before, I was very gentle with myself and I acknowledged how my body was feeling and that I was tightening up with fear. I looked at what was going on in my head and then I just let it go on by and I kind of just talked myself through it saying, these are just worry thoughts and I was so relieved when, when I picked her up at the end of the day. But it, it, it broke that cycle. So acceptance is really important. And then knowing that the first time for absolutely anything is scary, I think. And the second time she went on a trip, I'm sure you didn't feel it to that degree. So it's knowing that, you know, the first time somebody takes your baby out for a walk in the buggy, if it's your mum or mother-in-law or whoever it is, so you can just have a shower. The very first time that happens, even that, can sometimes make your heart race. Absolutely. It's 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 normalizing it. It's getting used to it, isn't it? And that that's the key for me with any anxiety is our instinct is to avoid what makes us feel nervous and worried. But that's the worst thing we can do because then we get hooked by it. It builds, it builds, it builds. We avoid, we avoid, we avoid. It gets stronger and stronger and harder to do. So absolutely put yourself in it, face that fear see it for what it is, and then know that it, it will get easier, it will get better. So absolutely, the next time my daughter went on a school trip, I didn't think twice about it. It was, it was fine. Back to failure, it was a really common theme that women who couldn't breastfeed or had had a traumatic birth felt a sense of failure. Um, and a lot of that stemmed from a sense of feeling judged. How do you see a lot of women who their failure is very linked to 
how their birth went. This specific example, I'm mentioning somebody had had a C-section and felt like they had failed, that their body had failed them. I'm in no way stating that you have failed if you have a C-section, but is that something you've heard before? And how would you, again, suggest how someone begins to accept those feelings? Absolutely. I think it's really common. And I think we do live in a time right now where there's a lot of shaming of mums, which is a personal bugbear of mine for sure. Some women might choose to have a C-section. As far as I'm concerned, that's their choice. You know, and and you, you get on and you do what is medically the best for you. What we're striving for is to deliver our children, to raise our children, to have healthy, safe children. And it's the same with breastfeeding and versus bottle feeding. I have friends and women I've worked with who have really struggled with breastfeeding to the point where it's been affecting their mental health. So there comes a point where you you weigh up. Is is the need to breastfeed so important that you become an emotional wreck and you can't care for your child the rest of the time? Or is it better that you look after your mental well-being and you make a choice to take that pressure away? Um, or you just don't want to, and actually it's nobody else's business what you do. But I do think there's a judgment that goes on and it's horrendous. And I think with the cesarean issue, it can be absolutely heartbreaking to see women who've had especially emergency C-sections who then feel like, even if they, they're aware that the situation was necessary for medical reasons, they they feel like you just said that their body has failed somehow, that their body couldn't deliver the way it was supposed to. I'm, I'm, I've been working with a woman right now about that who feels like because she's physically small, her body couldn't help the baby the way it needed to during delivery. And so we've done a lot of work on acceptance and self-love and understanding that she's personalising something and attributing blame in a way that's just, it's misplaced. Would you have any suggestions for someone really going through a a rough time with that really kind of knowing the stats knowing friends family members who've also had cesareans knowing that thank god they've got through it they're healthy thank god that their baby's healthy using a specific example from the questionnaire she knows all the rational um reasons why she shouldn't feel this hatred towards her body and this sense of failure but can't get past it what should someone like in that position do? Um, talk about it. Talk about it with someone that you trust, whether that's a friend, whether that's uh, your GP, whether that's your health visitor. Expectations is so key. We have rigid ways of thinking things should be done, that there's a right way and a wrong way, that we have this, especially with birth, which is something that is so out of our control, but we have this image of what should happen and we feel really disappointed and we feel like we failed when it doesn't play out like that. The whole thing that women sit there playing this through in their heads by themselves, feeling distressed, feeling this sense of shame about their bodies and about having failed, it keeps them quiet because of the shame and the best thing you can do is talk to someone The antidote to shame is empathy. So if you're met with empathy, the shame, it doesn't it doesn't hold. But if you keep yourself sort of silent and secret about it and let it kind of grow and you you create a kind of truth in your head, don't you then? Because that's the only the only way you're seeing it is it's it's a a fact that you failed, that it's a fact that your body didn't do what you needed it to do. Don't try and push away how you're feeling would be my other advice. If you feel upset that it didn't go the way you had hoped it would or that your body didn't perform the way you wanted it to, then acknowledge that. That's okay. Cry about it if you need to. Get angry about it if you need to, but process it. Don't get stuck 
with it and don't get stuck kind of shutting yourself my personal feeling is that there's a kind of element of trauma in all of our births it just isn't necessarily on the scale of it being a big problem but I I mean it's an experience like no other isn't it when do you ever have to go through something like that physically and the fact you're supposed to sort of box it up and move on and go on and now it's about feeding the babies I remember with my first I was like no 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 I'm gonna need to talk about this every visitor who came around got the birth so I was like I'm sorry I've got to tell you everything and then there's that day where you don't need to talk about it anymore but personally for me talking was vital talking is so important and I remember I had I had a birth that wasn't particularly it was long um, it wasn't particularly eventful but there there was some mild concern at the end so I didn't get to hold my daughter when she was born she was whisked off to be checked out and she was fine but I remember feeling very very detached and thinking oh there's a baby crying over there oh how interesting like (laughs) just being really a bit surreal with it all and then I remember maybe a few days back after we got home having to just sort of leave the baby with my husband and go off into the bedroom and I wept like I've never wept before it was a physical sobbing because I just felt like my body had been traumatized and I thought in any other situation I would I would this would be an assault (laughs) quite frankly (laughs) happy as I was that my daughter was here I was like this physical sensation was horrific and I needed to process it I needed to be able to kind of accept it and experience it and move past it so yeah do whatever you need to do to acknowledge it and the point you just said before about women where they are feeling so desperately unhappy and let down by the experience that they had that they're not bonding with their child I mean this happens with birth trauma and I think birth trauma is only starting to be talked about a bit more and it's not very well understood I think we have this image that we have to have had some medical emergency for it to be a birth trauma and that's not the case at all it could be that you're birth didn't go as you expected or often it's when you feel dismissed or not heard or powerlessness powerless within this whole birth process that you have this kind of trauma and that that can affect your bonding afterwards it doesn't mean you won't ever bond and it doesn't mean you'll necessarily get postnatal depression or things going on but when we have this kind of stress and shock during the birth process it, it interrupts the normal play of hormones that then link in with like the oxytocin the prolactin coming and those can affect our bonding and our breastfeeding even though the milk supply it's all sort of it's all it's all linked but we don't hear much about it so I think when you've had a birth that didn't go according to plan and you were upset by it whether or not it was dramatic if you had a negative experience within that there can be an element of trauma it doesn't doesn't mean you're going to have sort of post-traumatic stress disorder or anything you know you but it's acknowledging that that was an experience that you didn't enjoy and it and that might affect the way you might have to bond in a different sort of process it might take a little bit more time the oxytocin might have to come in a different way because you didn't get it in your birth experience because it was horrible I think at this point it'd be useful to say because some of the people who wrote in are living in remote areas and a lot of people didn't have any maternity allowance. As you said, go to your GP if you really feel like you are struggling. But people may feel like they can't afford therapy or the wait for therapy um, is quite a few weeks. What are the different options for people? And I want to consider people who are in remote places or are in a financial situation at the moment not working where they wouldn't be able to afford much. Absolutely. And I think it's a, a, a bit of a lottery depending on where you live as to what your services are like. I know women who have had fantastic follow up. So it could have be they spoke to their 
a GP is always a great starting point, but health visitor, midwife, some people get great follow-up from their midwife and the team. Other health visiting teams are now training up one health visitor to be the mental health lead, so they have a better awareness of maternal mental well-being. If you have a great health visitor, wonderful, talk to them. If, yeah, talk to your GP if you're worried about anything. I think the thing about GPs is we think that we have to wait till things are terrible to go and talk to the GP or that we're going to be diagnosed with, you know, something. Talk to your GP even if you're just struggling a little bit. There's no... I think it's better to reach out and have a conversation Lots of women do go through postnatal depression. I mean, looking back, a lot of the women I meet say to me, I've heard this phrase so many times, looking back, I probably had postnatal depression. Absolutely, yeah, with hindsight. (laughs) That was not okay the way I was feeling. That was way more difficult um, than a a sort of normal, and I'm doing my little quotation marks thing because normal's different for all of us. But yeah, we suffer in silence a lot because we're worried about what it means to be labelled Having a diagnosis of postnatal depression or postnatal anxiety, it just means you're you're meeting the criteria of a cluster of symptoms and experiences. And it then means that you can get access to support um, yeah, that you need and help rather than struggling on. And postnatal depression is much quicker. The prognosis is much better if you get treatment earlier. It's easier to treat it. Reach out. If you're not happy with, with the response you get from your GP, um, if there's more than one GP in your practice, go and see the other one. Keep getting that help until you get what you feel is, is is useful for you. And your point about the online world. I mean, we live in an age where it's so easy to access information and there's more support than ever before. And there are a ton of Facebook groups and resources out there that you can link up with. I my I have a Facebook group called Resilient Mums that any mum is welcome to come and join. And people post what they're going through. They ask for advice. I do topics and I I offer sort of tips and hints of things you can do Um, and there are lots of Facebook groups like that I would suggest just going in putting in your keywords into Facebook or just an online search and seeing what comes up seeing what peer support groups there are for your local area linking up with with mums groups I think isolation is is one of the key things if you can get out there and meet other mums and there's always someone who's happy in the end usually to say I'm feeling a bit like this. Are you are you feeling like that? And then it's like, oh, thank you. Absolutely. Mums that will talk honestly. We haven't got onto relationships. Um, a lot of people wrote they were feeling very misunderstood by their partner, huge amounts of anger towards their partner. That is so common and normal, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is. Oh, God, what's going to rock a relationship more than becoming parents together? And again, we have these expectations, don't we, of what it's going to be like, of these blissful little family family moments. And the reality kicks in and we're there trying to deal with the screaming baby, everyone having different ideas about what to do and then bickering with each other about it all. It's Oh, it's completely normal. It's it's a massive transition for a relationship. And I think it's actually something that we, we don't prepare for. We're so focused on the baby coming, we don't actually prepare for the knock-on effect of our relationships changing. Uh, like, likewise for our, ident- our identity as, as women or as ourselves, we don't really think about how fundamentally that can shift when we become a mother and just how difficult that can be, that we feel like we've lost ourselves and equally like we've lost our relationships. I think the focus isn't on the couple anymore, it's on, on the baby and how things are shared or not shared or who's, you know, is it fair, unfair, who's got the easy time of it and the, mis- the misunderstandings. Any sneaky tips on how to talk 
to a partner. I know we used to play highlight, low light because we hadn't kind of spoken all day or connected all day. And now we're in bed and all we want to do is sleep and not talk. So I just kind of go highlight, good cake, uh, midday, low light, the baby cried all the way home. And then he'd do his highlight, low light. And we felt like, okay, we kind of had a connection today. I like that. I like. I'm gonna. I'm gonna steal that one and use that now. Even though my daughter's five, I'm gonna highlight low light with my partner, with my husband. Um, kids like playing it too. Yes, I think that's a really nice one, especially when you've got to the age that our kids are at, where you, you like my daughter now. She comes home from school and I go, "What do you do today?" Nothing. <laughs> like, oh, really? Nothing. So yeah, highlight low light. Brilliant. It takes the pressure off. And I would also say like walking each other's shoes a little bit, either literally, or step back and think. So I think one of the common things that comes up for couples is one's going out to work and the other's at home with the baby and each one thinks the other one's got the easy ride so yeah make sure the person who's not the stay-at-home primary caregiver has time by themselves to understand how relentless it is having a small baby and that's why the dishes aren't done and the house is a state and likewise think about how it would feel for you to be up and out with no sleep going to work somewhere and how hard that is and maybe have a bit more understanding for each other Thank you so much to Claire. I thought it was so useful hearing her talk about intrusive thoughts. I love that idea of thinking about your mind as a puppy that wanders off and to kind of forgive it and understand that that that's how all our minds work. And we'd have to shame the thoughts or judge them all the time and and you can realise that not all thoughts are true. Yeah, I, I love chatting to Claire. I could have spoken to her for way longer. Please check out her website, www.resilientmums.com. Her Twitter handle is at Resilient Mums. As ever, quick disclaimer, if you do have any mental or physical issues since having your baby, please, please go back to the GP. Everyone I interviewed stressed that 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 was important. If you don't like your GP, find another GP at the practice, but do put your question to a GP, health visitor or midwife. As always, please follow us on Instagram at Postnatal FAQ and visit the website to get in touch. It's www.postnatalfaq.com. I know that we've only scratched the surface. I'm well aware that these episodes do not represent all people, all postnatal experiences. We are looking for funding to make many more. There are so many more experts to talk to. But the thing that's most important to me is that if you have a concern or a question that has not been raised in any of these episodes, then please do get in touch and let me know what questions you would want answered. And hopefully we will get sponsorship soon and make another season and put many more questions to many more experts. As always, please do help get the word out by going onto iTunes, rate and review and subscribe. That is the only way other new mothers can hear this series. So I would be very, very grateful or tweet about it. And if you want to see all the fun and games on our Instagram, that's at Postnatal FAQ. Thank you very much. Postnatal FAQ was produced and created by me, Abby Hollick with music by Ian Kellett, mixed by Mike Halley, additional research by Leanne Nicol, web support by Daniel Benalil, and social media by Rosie Stouffer. It is a Square Dog Media production. <laughs>